Hello movie friends, welcome to There Will Be Movie Reviews. As you can see, I'm in a much different space today. Uh, we're doing some work on my house, but uh, no worries, we'll be back next weekend for uh, the recording of the podcast. But uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest today. Uh, this uh, person was on my podcast uh, a few months ago, and we discussed a film called Raging Bull. And... Uh, it was such a great discussion, and I thought, you know what, I have to have this guy on for another podcast and discuss some more Scorsese films. But without further ado, uh, I'd like to welcome Uncle Brad to the podcast. Uncle Brad, say uh, say hi to everyone. Hi, everybody. It's good to be back, and um uh, excited for this, this discussion. Um, should I introduce the films we're talking about? Or Go right ahead. We'll be talking about two more Scorsese classics. Uh, the 1976 masterpiece Taxi Driver and uh, followed by The King of Comedy which was released in 1983 two more fantastic Scorsese pictures yes oh my goodness yeah I think I, I was thinking about this when I was watching the podcast about who I think my favorite director is and it was a three way tie with uh, PTA Paul Thomas Anderson um, David Fincher and actually, I'll add a little honorable mention, Stanley Kubrick and Martin Scorsese. And after watching these two films, uh, it, Scorsese kind of uh, kind of broke that barrier and went to the top of those uh, other three directors because these films are just masterpieces. They're uh, it, so different from each other, yet very similar at the same time and, and very, very, very great character development. And, and you can really see... Uh, De Niro and Scorsese duo, it works very, very well. And they do a great job together. And yeah, I'm super excited to talk about these films. Many, many different things we got to go over. Uh, that's for sure. But before we discuss these two films, let's do the movie news. So. All right. So first and up in the movie news. Vin Diesel has confirmed that the Fast and Furious films, uh, the 10th film, will be starting filming in 2022. You know, that, I don't really care about that. To be honest, I saw that and I was like, this is just, at this point, it's just hilarious because now they're just soap operas and it it's, ugh, it's just goofy, these films. I've seen a few of them and they're not that good. And I don't know why they keep making these movies, but I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Uh, honestly, I don't know that I've seen a single one of them. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of shocked to hear that we're up to number 10. Uh, yeah, so maybe I should have seen, maybe there's something to these films that I wasn't aware of. But, no, no. Um, the name Vin Diesel does not, uh, immediately make me want to run out and, uh, and, you know, watch <laughs> the movie. There's oh, that's funny. But, um, I'm sure they have their... I'm sure they have their place, and obviously they have their their audience. Uh, probably just some some easygoing escapism. They obviously do because you know these movies make hundreds of millions of dollars every time a uh, new film comes out. So why not just make more money? And it doesn't seem to be declining too much, a little bit, but like not too much. It's kind of like Adam Sandler movies. They just they keep making them, even though they're awful, and they still find a way to make. Lots and lots of money, <laughs> which is always pretty funny, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think they're they're probably easy on the audience, not uh, not a, not challenging to watch, and maybe that's their appeal. It's just just good clean escapism. Yeah, and you don't have to think about them too much after the fact. Yeah, uh, a couple new trailers were released. So uh, the new Halloween movie trailer was just released called Halloween Kills. Uh, I watched it. Wasn't too big of a fan of it. Uh, I watched the most recent one, Halloween. Uh, Danny McBride uh, produced that film actually, but it wasn't that. It wasn't that good. But I'm. I saw the original, 1978. I'm pretty sure. 1978, 1979. One of the Jamie two. Lee, Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yep. And, and didn't, she, didn't she come back? In, she in did come back. Yeah, one she of the did. Later releases of it. Yeah, she did. And it was the original is good, but this new trailer, I'm just I don't know what they're doing. I don't need to keep making these. Same thing with the Fast and Furious movies, though. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I uh, I saw the original uh, many moons ago, and uh, I'm, another franchise that I'm woefully uh, unfamiliar with. Yeah, true. Yeah. So I have a question. Have you seen many of the? Have you watched quite a few Marvel movies? You think, or or a few at least? Um, yeah, uh, I, I've watched a few of them. Yeah. You, um, yeah. Honestly, I I'm so uh, I'm kind of out of the loop. I, I, I assume that some of the uh, superhero movies are not Marvel movies. Um. Yeah. Would, yes. Like, does Batman fall into the Marvel? He falls into the DC universe. Same with Superman and Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, all those characters. Yeah. Okay. So I've seen yeah. quite a few superhero movies. Um. Yeah. Your, because I was gonna say these two new films are coming up called Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. It's a new Marvel film. A lot um, audiences haven't really heard of it at all, and the new trailer was released and. Um, it, it's, it's very, very, it looks very interesting. It's very, it's foreign. Um, correct me if, uh, or audience members, you can comment on, on this. Correct me if I'm wrong about, um, uh, if it, I think it's set in China, but I'm curious to see because it's very, very different from what they usually do. Um, a lot of the new films are becoming more, um, diverse. And what are your thoughts on that? The idea of, you know, creating diversity within these uh, um, superhero films, you know, adding LGBTQ characters and much more African-American characters and, and Asian characters, which is, I think is good. But what are your thoughts? Well, absolutely. I think, you know, um, where however the, the big Hollywood producers can, can add you know, inclusion and diversity to the films so that the films are actually a, a real reflection of the audience members. Um, I think that's, you know, that's a, a, a move in the right direction, obviously. Um, so that's great. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so with that, the new Shang-Chi trailer was just released and um, I saw it and yeah, I'm... I think it, it's it might be it's it's very new for a lot of the audiences. It's a, it's a big change, but I think it's something that is needed too. But uh, I'm excited to watch the movie. Obviously, I'm going to go see it. I recommend everyone who's listening to 
uh, go check out the trailer that just came out. It looks it looks really cool, really really interesting. But yeah, um, totally yeah. That's what I'm saying, and I recommend that you go. You should watch it too because it's. I think I think it's a going to be a good movie. No, it's going to be very very uh a very very different change in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I'm excited to see it though. But yeah. And is that one of the? Is that a director that we've seen before with Marvel? Um, no, it's not. But you know, there's another Marvel movie that's coming out though with Chloe uh Zhao Zahu. I'm, I'm I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. It was directed a uh, Nomadland, and that's going to be interesting too though. I'm, I'm excited to see that. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Totally. And it's going to be out this year too. It's called Eternals, and like. A bunch of actors are in that. Angelina Jolie, Selma Hayek, uh, Kit Harington from Game of Thrones, um, uh, Kumal Nanjiani. No, um, he's from uh, the big, uh, the big sick films oh, in Silicon yeah, Valley. Yeah. Medium. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I think that finishes up for the movie news. Not too much this week. Yeah. Not a lot happening with COVID, so you can't. Uh, have too much uh to talk about really, but uh, but yeah, I think let's get into Taxi Driver. Uh, if you're ready for it, are you ready for it? Are you ready for this? This, this? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope so. All right, all right. Are we, so, are we ever ready for Taxi Driver? It's, uh... Who knows? Honestly, it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's it's Travis Pickles, man. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I uh, in doing a little bit of research for this. Uh, besides just watching the film, I watched some YouTube commentaries and documentaries. So in 1990, I guess um, the Criterion Collection released re-released the movie on Laserdisc, and part of that re-release was commentary with the writer Paul Schrader and Martin Scorsese. And um, you know it's. It's interesting just watching or listening to Martin Scorsese commenting on his own film, which he hadn't seen since he made it in 1966. Mm. And it sounds like that's true of a lot of, a lot of his films where, um, you know, he, he talks about the, the trauma almost of making any film and uh, finds it hard to go back and, and kind of watch his own films, even though there's, you know, critical acclaim and, and he just... Um, you know, I think he has a hard time separating the making of the movie, the enjoyment that we feel as an audience just watching it, because he is, of course, watching. He's he's sort of seeing it from from a different perspective. Uh, but, yeah. Um, my point was that even he talking about his own film, I think, is still trying to twenty five years later, which is when the DVD release came out, trying to kind of analyze the film and some of the things that he thought about when he was making the film, um, some of the opinions that he had about the characters, that, that some of the things that he was certain about um, had changed and shifted. So I think, um, you know, it's it's different with each each viewing. And then, of course, as a society, what's happening in the media, we can look back on a lot of these things and, and you know, just jumping over the King of Comedy for a second, you know, it, it was almost like, I mean, there was that sort of celebrity worship happening already back then, but it's taken on a whole other uh, level with reality yeah. TV and celebrity yeah. worship. And, and now everyone's sort of their own celebrity because we've all got 
our podcasts and our Instagram pages and our Facebook pages, and we're also just like the, our own celebrities of our own um, lives. And <laughs> what a what a great sort of segue into the discussion. Very thank you, Brad. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It's it's something I wanted to touch on too because there's a few things part of Taxi Driver that. Um, yeah, when, uh, you, your perspective changes a lot uh, through each viewing. But uh, before we discuss Taxi Driver, I'll give a rundown of uh, into the film. So this film was released in 1976, stars Robert De Niro, Jodie Foster, Sybil Shepard, Albert Brooks, uh, Peter Boyle, and Harvey Keitel as uh, Sport. <laughs> oh, that's a character. There's, oh my god. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. But uh, directed by the great Martin Scorsese, written by Paul Schrader, nominated for four Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Lead Actor, Best Actress in a Supporting Role, and Best Original Score. So, Taxi Driver is about a mentally unstable veteran works as a nighttime taxi driver in New York City, where the perceived decadence and sleaze fuels his urge for violent action by attempting to liberate a presidential campaign worker and an underage prostitute. <laughs> it's right off the bat, this film is, um, you are already transported into this world. Um, as I mentioned before with a, a couple of my last podcast uh, episodes, it, a, a lot of these films tend to really take you into a different world. And that's what kind of the idea of film is. It's, it's a transportation into this world. And right away, uh, the score, um, I forget his name. You, you probably know it better than I do. Um, yeah, it's uh, Bernard Herman. Bernard Herman, yeah. It was the last score that he made, actually. Um, and he's, he's known for other little films that he did uh, prior to Taxi Driver, such as you may have heard of a little film called Citizen Kane. Yeah. <laughs> Being sarcastic, of course. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, and he did, I think, eight or nine Hitchcock films. Oh, yeah. Including Vertigo and the famous Psycho soundtrack. Those, those. Right? Yeah, exactly. So those are all, uh, yeah, same, same composer. And uh, this was his last film. I think he, he passed away five months after it was released. Uh, he's a, he's a, yeah. a, giant, a giant of film scores, and this film score is he was he was playing around a little bit with, um, you know, jazz elements. Yes. Um, the sort of, um, you know, just we'll talk about more about him. Yeah. Uh, as we go, but yeah, it's just a fantastic score. And and right off the bat, the film is it. Yeah, it dives you deep, especially yeah. Bernard Herrmann, yeah, just the little percussion at the beginning, dun 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 dun, dun like that, and and it's. It changes the mood. It sets the mood perfectly for the film. Uh, it's it becomes so dark and uh, almost disturbing in a way because of the the, the score and in the fog drifting up onto uh, onto the taxi cab. And, and right away, it's just it's just whoa! This is gonna be a a great film. This is already going. I and right 
right from the beginning. That's how I felt when I first watched this. I remember that score right away, and I just it was transported. And I, I don't know about you. Yeah, same thing. It was just like a real feeling of dread. And yeah, in, impending dread, right? As you as you mentioned, the drum beat, and um, yeah, it's it's like a it's like a horror movie in the way the way it starts. Um, yeah, it's the, the the scenes of the taxi cab and the lights and everything's happening at night, and uh, yeah, it really it really sets the tone for the rest of the film. Hundred percent, yeah, and um. I think and let's talk about uh Travis Bickles. Let's try, talk about his character because that's the main focus is about his character and the main uh folk uh and both these films are very very much character uh based and uh discuss the main characters so Rupert Pump Pumpkin and yeah. uh Travis Bickles and you could say that Travis Bickles is one of the most iconic film characters of all time. Um, comparing him to, oh, who's, <laughs> it's hard to say, maybe Daniel Plainview from There Will Be Blood or, um, Indiana Jones or, uh, uh, Al Pacino. Al Pacino. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Or Vito Corleone from The Godfather. So many. And it's hard to say. I, and it, it's the main reason I think is because of, Robert De Niro's incredible, you know, deadly performance in this film. Uh, he went through so much work and so much preparation, and obviously, it is known that Robert De Niro is one of the he's one of the most notable method actors. And for this film, he go very, very deep, uh, almost becoming a late night or a, a nighttime cap taxi driver and. Um, he actually did. He, yeah. He got a, he got a hack license. Yeah. For a couple of weeks. And um, Martin Scorsese drove around with him on, on one occasion. Um, and uh, there's a story about a, uh, this was, you know, Taxi Driver was, came on the heels of uh, uh, the Oscar, Oscar win, win yeah. for Godfather, a supporting actor. And he's there now. He's he's driving around in New York, preparing for this role in Taxi Driver. And an actor got into the back of the cab, and you know, is that could that be? And then I think it actually said Robert De Niro on the hack license. And yeah. He just said, "Oh my God, you, I thought it was you. Are, are things really? You know, you just won an Oscar. Are things really this bad for actors?" <laughs> <laughs> and De Niro was like, "Yeah." <laughs> character. That's funny. Yeah, let, and, this poor, let this poor guy believe that that was his. You know. Uh, yeah. I probably quit acting the next day. <laughs> yeah, it's he. He one hundred percent went uh, with most of his roles, and, and majority of his roles. Maybe not recently uh, with his grandpa roles. He's been doing a lot, but uh, uh, he's he goes. He is. He's very professional with his the way he transmits himself and transports himself into these characters um obviously and completely going into full character for this film uh yeah he goes he goes deep in, in yeah preparation for, yes and you know, i'm sure every role um even with king of comedy apparently he he tracked down autograph hunters yeah and i think he even 
uh, you know, went so far as to have dinner with some guy who was sort of obsessed with him to kind of try to get, try to understand where, <laughs> that, where that obsession came from and, and what, what is it that you want from me? Or what, why would, why do you want to have dinner with me, for example? Things hmm. like that. So, and that's true of all, all his roles. Uh, you know, Beijing Hall, he was doing a lot of boxing and a lot of training. I don't know if this is true. I heard rumors about his his role as Al Capone in the Untouchables. He went so far as to go to Al Capone's tailor, whether it was in Chicago or New York, and have have that tailor make you know his undergarments for him that he wore in the movie, just to kind yeah, of <laughs> things like that. Oh yeah, but um, yeah, he was he was. Uh, I think this this this. Everything about this, as far as like, I think this role was kind of made for him. Um, yeah. In a way. And, and Travis Bickles is, he's a very terrifying character for me. He's very, very intimidating. And he has that presence, but at the same time, he, he is quite pathetic too. He is, he, he he's a hypocrite. He, he looks at the terrible things in the world and, and sees the terrible Say, he sees the bad things about people, um, all over New York City and the scum, uh, as he, as he puts it. And whereas he will, but he is a person that goes and watches pornos when he, in his free time on, on his nights off. And, and, and maybe that's because he's so messed up that that's his only way of escapism, I guess, from this awful world. And, but at the same time, it is pretty, uh, disturbing as, um, uh, Betsy, that's her character's name, right? It, yeah. She's she's uh, disgusted by his acts and, and the way he is, and she even puts it she's never even met a man <laughs> like quite like uh, Travis before, and, and he is he's and also at the same time he stalks stalks her in a way he, he's always watching her, and he, he does quite he makes weird decision and irrational irrational decisions a lot of the time, and. But he's so. You can even compare him to uh, Holden Caulfield in uh, in um, The Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think a lot of similar characters uh, in film have kind of translated and, and mirrored uh, that character in The Catcher in the Rye. And th- I noticed this when I watched Taxi Driver. But yeah. Yeah, he, uh, well, she says it in that, uh, Betsy says it in the meeting in the coffee shop. And she says, you know, after he's been talking for a while, she, she says that he, he brings up this, uh, makes her think of this line from a Chris Christopherson song. He was a yeah. prophet and a pusher. I forget the lyric, but it ends with a walking contradiction. Mm-hmm. And there is so much, as you pointed out, so much contradictory about, you know he hates he's he's railing against um you know the garbage and the pushers and just you know the seedy sides of new york city and yet that's what where he chooses <laughs> to to be mm-hmm. he, he rails against you know the you know the filth and the pornography but then he he spends his nights in a porno theater yeah um and so he's kind of setting himself up 
to be miserable and aggravated by the choices that he's making. It's almost like he's, um, yeah, he's he's putting himself in these situations that he knows are gonna kind of upset him. Um, yeah, he just keeps keeps going back. And, and uh, Scorsese said about if you look at it uh, in a Catholic framework, they would call that the occasion of sin. So he puts himself in the occasion of sin. Hey guys, um, as you can see, I am now back at the usual spot location for the podcast. We did have some technical difficulties um, the last time, yesterday when we were uh, recording and shooting, but uh, it's all right now. We're back and ready to begin in the discussion of Taxi Driver and the, the King of Comedy. But uh, we left off before Brad, uh, we were making having a little yeah contradiction about uh, Travis Bickles and his character um, with the idea how he's almost a hypocrite and he uh, he is disgusted by the, the filth on the streets of New York City and uh, he hates this the, the people that surround him and thinks they're disgusting and they're almost phonies and in a way and how they also the, the prostitution uh, is going on all around him and uh, He's surrounded himself with pornography, but at the same time, he's he is the person that is going to see this pornography, which is kind of in a way just doing the same thing that all the other people are doing. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, you were you you were about to make a point before. I remember. I'm not sure if you remember, but yeah. Well, um, I had heard that uh, uh, Scorsese had had talked about. This this same idea uh, in a in a Catholic framework, which Scorsese was was brought up in, so there's, so there's a lot of religious iconography and stuff. And Scorsese referred to this this very fact that we're talking about the fact that he he was disgusted by this stuff, but he chose to kind of immerse himself in it. And yeah. and Scorsese calls it putting himself in what the Catholics would call the occasion of sin. So he's putting himself in a situation that uh almost like deliberately antagonizing himself and mm -hmm. aggravating himself um and you know he's uh, scorsese says he's re repulsed by this thing and yet he surrounds himself with it and tortures himself with it and eventually acts out against it which is acting out against the things inside himself um and that speaks to i think when we when we were interrupted yesterday that uh we were talking about that line uh from the Betsy character, when she's talking about him being, she's quoting uh, a Chris Christopherson song and, and saying he was like a walking contradiction, which he, he very much is. And another example of that, um, Paul Schrader, the writer, talks about um, is, you know, in one of the voiceovers, um, something that I always remember from the first time I saw it was this, this line about, you know, a person shouldn't spend their life devoted to morbid self-attention yeah. uh, a person should become you know someone should become a person like other people and yet he spends all his time <laughs> completely in his head and devoted to morbid self-attention yeah and so it is he is very much a contradictory character in that in that way yeah uh, i i thought of something when i was uh 
watching the film and uh, preparing for the podcast and how it, it, it just the, the, this thought came into my head in the idea that um sorry did you hear those dogs yeah um but yeah so my uh thought that i had was the idea of how travis is such a um he, he has such a, a wild uh ride i guess you could say in this film and it's very uh it, it's a lot goes on throughout his life and a lot goes on or just in this uh piece of his life and i noticed that it, it, it just goes to show that there are so many weird and interesting and, and crazy people like travis bickles in say new york city that just nobody even knows about nobody is like nobody has heard of at all he's just a lonely guy but yet he has this such this intense and, and crazy life you're going through to a shootout and uh just having these crazy intense uh thoughts that are just surrounded by himself and and i uh, i thought it was so interesting how you know we'll be walking past that person we have no idea that that is that person is like that and has those thoughts and has been through that uh situation situations in life and just and that scorsese does a good job at showing that loneliness and how you know nobody will ever know that kind of about him again you know he has this kind of 15 minutes of fame but other than that he's still he's still a nobody i feel well i think that's that's you're you're speaking in part to like one of the uh, one of the beautiful things about filmmaking and especially this kind of personal filmmaking is that um you know where some films like sci-fi films or maybe action films or comic films are pure fantasy these more personal types films allow us the viewers to see into the lives of ordinary people and unordinary people and extraordinary people that we wouldn't otherwise see um mm. this is a movie about a uh, disturbed loner but we can watch we can watch movies that give us a glimpse of someone with uh, i just watched the father recently with anthony hopkins you know someone giving a glimpse into Alzheimer's, these small little personal stories that broaden our understanding of like the human race, because mm. now we're just, we're just focusing in on this tiny little microscope microcosm yeah. and one, and one kind of life. And it, it allows us, I think, um, to de be able to develop empathy for other people by, mm seeing you know god forbid you know we just thankfully we're not that taxi driver we're not that person we've had opportunities or experiences um that have sort of shielded us from becoming that type of person yeah or we've been raised in a certain way but um yeah it's 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 fascinating to be able to kind of just sort of dig down into one character and and try and understand them you know for whatever whatever the case may be whatever his situation may be so yeah. um you know i i think there's i don't know if i would call him a sympathetic character but he's he's a type of person and there are um 
you know, there are unfortunately there are many people like that that wind up in, in doing committing these sort of yeah. uh, delusional acts or acts in the name of delusion or um, so it's it's really it's really uh, kind of eye opening to um, you know people's mental health and and awareness that there are people uh, that that need services that need help and. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I think you know, filmmaking in this in this style and this personal style just allows us to to uh, develop empathy and and learn about other people mm -hmm. that we wouldn't have it that we wouldn't have a chance to otherwise. You mentioned um, about his almost uh, if he's he can sympathize for this character, and I'd like to think that. Travis Bickles does have some redeeming qualities about his character. A lot of the time, you can almost think of him as an anti-hero because he does do, tries to do good things, but not in the most fashionable way um, for people. And he's trying to save uh, Jodie Foster's character, um, uh, Iris, in, in the film. and But at the same time, he's still killing three people with it at the uh uh you know maybe say people who uh, might have just been innocent and been caught caught up doing something uh they didn't want to do and or who knows but like still he does want to help Jodie Foster out as much as he as much as possible which is good uh and that's kind of yeah what makes him uh, a better person and uh, a better person within the film because for the most first part of the film you uh see that he isn't he's pretty messed up you think obviously he's a vet veteran like uh being in the war can obviously affect your mental health and you can kind of see that it, it has a bit in uh, this film or has a lot i think in, in this film um but yeah i i think he has some redeeming qualities about him um yeah i think i think the impulse or the instinct to help another person in say Jodie Foster's situation is is a human you know a good human impulse uh what's what's um interesting or what's disturbing is that he doesn't i mean there would be plenty other ways to go about extracting her from that situation if that's what he wanted to do without going on a, a murderous <laughs> rampage so that that's where the, the mm -hmm. sort of the psychosis comes in, or the um, however you want to define, try to define his his actions. But I mean, I think there are other moments in the film too, where um, like when he's sitting in the coffee shop with Betsy and having that conversation. I mean, the things that I kind of like about him is is just his directness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was something that, oh, from the very first viewing, there was something that really impressed me with how he spoke to her, this this person that he just met. And it might seem crazy, but there was also sort of a a very painful kind of honesty to it. And yeah. I, I kind of admire that about him. Um, you know, and so it's, a lot of it is, is sort of delusional. A lot of it is just in his mind. He's making it up. But um, you really see his his vulnerability. I think in a lot of in a lot of scenes, um, there's that there's that scene where 
after he's he's taken her to the movie and she's walked out on him for good reason and he's yeah. he's calling her afterwards and he's in that he's in that payphone in a in a hallway and the camera just pans to the empty hallway and you can just hear the sort of the the regret and um uncomfortableness in his voice and he's he's i think he's he's obviously he's his own worst enemy he just doesn't seem to know any better which is why yeah. i think he took her to the the dirty movie in the first place he yeah. just didn't he just didn't know really he probably saw other couples there he's not connected to popular culture or or yeah music no or movies Chris, he has no idea who chris christopherson is and... right a, a yeah. movie is a movie and couples come here and so why wouldn't i bring you here but he's he's not a he's not obviously a critic of movies he's not he's not judging. He doesn't have his own podcast he doesn't have his own podcast that's for sure or maybe he does who knows um <laughs> but uh the bickle files but uh <laughs> you know but he just uh, he he can't seem to differentiate between you know what's what's you know what might what's what someone else might yeah. like yes you know and so he just ends up in these these very painful kind of awkward situations he does um, yeah. so you do you do feel you do feel sympathy for him on that level you know you see him struggling and trying and then um touch back on what we were talking about before you can't help but feel sympathy for somebody who's who's so delusional and deranged mm -hmm. and, yes yeah you know but um yeah yeah, he, he, yeah. you're you're right about that i think he is robert de niro obviously played him perfectly i feel he's there's little things that are so intimidating about travis bickles and also so um so just things that just make you love that character so much in the sense of just it's so just the the thing little ticks he has or little uh, actions that he makes are so real and feel like his character would do you know after he shoots uh sports he just walks off and goes sit sits down on a little uh, on the little uh, steps to the house and I don't know why he did that. It was just, but it feels like something Travis Pickles would do. Just he, he doesn't know what to do. He's just he just goes and sits down. You know. Yeah, he uh, De Niro. I I read about or heard about that. He he suggested doing that. To, it was that was De Niro's suggestion. Mm -hmm. Um, and Scorsese loved it. And yeah. it, this is another. You know, this is another thing. It's it's hard to put into words a lot of why this why this affects one's one you know the viewer mm -hmm. but you know you're uh you're seeing this film for the first time you see him do the action of sitting down and something about it strikes you as being yeah. very human right like the fact that you the fact that you noted it and we're talking about it now um you know, there's something we respond to something in the character, like uh, that's there's yeah. something real about it, and so it that it's that speaks to I think De Niro's ability to kind of really tap into what makes his characters, however repulsive or repugnant, you know what what 
these little touches that make them human in mm-hmm. spite of uh things that they might be doing or ways that they might be acting at the end of, at the end of the day they're still human beings and that that instinct that de niro has like I'm, i i shoot this person i don't run away i don't try and hide i just i i'm so distraught maybe or so confused i just go and and sit down yeah and you know wait for the next impulse to to grab me yeah um, yeah yeah he feels he feels very real even looks like just uh, looks where he's in the taxi cab and he's looking back in the in the in the mirror in the rear view mirror and he's just looking back at the characters uh in the back of the taxi cab and it's just it's so intimidating and so but he he might feel fear too at the same time with certain people that get in his taxi cab uh, when <laughs> This is one of my one of my favorite scenes. It, it's also it, it kind of ironically I find it kind of funny because it just comes out of nowhere. Is when the Martin Scorsese is in the back of the cab, and yeah. I mean I, he shows up out of nowhere. That it caught me off guard. I was like, "What's he doing there?" And <laughs> um, well, the actor that he had, the actor that was supposed yeah. to play that part wasn't wasn't available. He was shooting something else, and so Scorsese said, "I'll I'll do it." Yeah. And, <laughs> And um, you know he he he's he has said that he doesn't like to be on film. He doesn't like the sound of his voice. He doesn't like you know like a lot of us feel that way. Um, yeah. But uh, he did it. I think he did a fantastic job. And and when I first saw the, when I first saw the movie, uh, you know I think it might have been the first Scorsese movie I had ever seen, and I didn't know what he looked like. So I yeah. didn't know that was Scorsese until <laughs> until sometime later. But I thought yeah. I thought he he there's such a, a again a realness to that character and a real anger and I think he really pulled it off. He has another cameo in the film, yeah, you know, I know. which comes at and, the beginning when when, when when Betsy first makes her appearance on the scene and it's sort of a slow mo shot and he's he's sitting there just yeah. on a on a step like watching her. Or pretty looking, hard. kind of almost appears to be looking at the audience. He's pretty hard to miss, honestly. He's got that thick <laughs> black giant after, like hair and beard. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. yeah, you can know, pick him out pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, he's, yeah, Scorsese did a very, very good job with this. And one of his, uh, first films, obviously, he did Mean Streets before and, uh, uh, was it Alice doesn't live here anymore? Yeah, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Which uh, I have to go back and watch that again. But Jodie Foster's in that as yeah. well. Laura Dern's in that too. You know it? Is she? Yeah, oh. she's the kid eating the ice cream in the, one of the scenes okay. where um, Ellen Burstyn's uh, at, the, at like a little diner, and Laura okay. Dern's like four years old, and she's just eating like she had to eat like four ice or like I don't know how many ice creams it was. Like just for scene after scene after scene, and Scorsese like thought like, oh, she's like gonna be a star when she's older because of that. And like, <laughs> well, look at look, there she is yeah. eating ice cream. That's nice, nice work if you can get it. Yeah, and, uh, um, yeah. I just went on a little Ellen. I just listened to a podcast with uh, Mark Maron was interviewing Ellen Burstyn, so I just went on a little YouTube rabbit hole looking at some old Ellen Burstyn clips. She's uh. She's still acting. She's still, she's still going. She never stopped. She's just a wonderful actress. 
for total. Yeah. It's but, uh, but I yeah. don't remember the I, I, I did see that film a long time ago, but I don't remember the Jodie Foster character or how big a part it was. Uh, it's another film I want to go back and and check out. But yeah, yeah this was uh so he had done he had done um Alice doesn't live here anymore, he had done Mean Streets. I'm trying to think if there was another film before before that. Um what did you think of the uh Easy Andy character? Easy Easy Andy, the gun salesman and taxi oh, driver. He's I thought he was definitely on Coke when he was uh <laughs> uh selling the guns to um I, I did like his character. I felt that I, that was something I noticed. You're, I, I like this character a lot because he's very, very quick. And also, it's kind of satisfying to just, like, see, like, the description of the guns. And it's kind of, it just kind of, um, sorry, the noise. It's, uh, a, ghosts? That, yes, ghosts in the background. Sorry about that, guys. Um, I'll, I'll be able to edit that in, for sure. But, uh, yeah, I noticed the gun salesman is, he's very, very, uh, he kind of, um, what's the word? He, he's very, oh, he, um, I'm trying to think, he, he's, I can't think of the word. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, like, he, um, well, he's very, I mean, I, I think it was a, a perfect, he was perfectly cast. Uh, yeah. This was a guy named Stephen Prince. He was, uh, I think this might have been his first acting gig. He was, uh, he was a roadie. I don't know how uh, Scorsese met him, um, whether he, yeah, I, I, I don't know, but I think he was perfectly cast. And, yeah. and he just was another one of those characters that feels like a real character. Like there's just walking off the street. You can yeah. just, you know, he was so, so convincing um, yeah. and uh but i remember the first time i saw it too like he, he really made an impression on me uh, yeah that's just you know, like someone to avoid you know <laughs> you know later in life don't get involved with anybody like like that guy you yeah know? he just seemed like such a dangerous kind of character yeah um but also you know also kind of comic in a way yes yeah, I I did I get, did get the sense off that he's like asking uh and he's asking Travis he's like constantly oh you want a coke blow crack yeah he's just like, rat rattling off all these you know all these criminal activities you know yes. you want you he's want like, up no, no, down no, none of that stuff none of that uh, crystal meth I could get yeah. you a, a Cadillac with a pink slip two thousand yeah. dollars you know <laughs> oh my god yeah it's really uh, fun yeah and yeah. Um, want to hear some fact, some fun facts? Sure. All right. All see, right. See what you got. Um, director Martin Scorsese claims that the most important shot in the movie is when Bickle is on the phone trying to get another date with Betsy. You mentioned the scene before, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, the camera moves to the side slowly and pans down the long empty hallway next to Bickle's as if the uh. Mm -hmm. To suggest that the phone conversation is too painful and pathetic to bear, the shot is also showcasing his isolation and loneliness. Just kind of cool. There's two different sides of it, I guess you can see, is the idea of his loneliness and his um, uh, how he's how it's just too painful and take yeah. it at face value, or you can think about it deeper than that. I think. 
he he's also said about that shot that was the first shot that came to him that was the first uh oh. shot that came to him and he said he everything else is based off of that that uh that that sort of gave him a direction for yeah. how to how to shoot the film um but that was the first thing that popped into his head hmm. The, as a, as a uh, visual, yeah. when he was reading the script, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a great, great scene. Huh. Um, there's another one. So the producers were looking for a, a Sybil Shepherd type to play the female lead film. When a, her agent Sue Menders uh, heard this, she reportedly called them and asked, "Why not hire uh, Sybil Shepherd?" <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I think I I did see somewhere where uh there a whole list of people who who uh maybe not the Civil Shepherd role, but a, a bunch of people who did try out for the Jodie Foster role before yeah. Jodie Foster was cast. Um Kim Cattrall, who was in Sex and the City, uh uh Mariel Hemingway, I don't know if you know her. Mm. Um, she was in the movie called Star 80, which was directed by Paul Schrader, who wrote Taxi Driver. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a whole, a whole bunch of people, uh, famous actresses that, that wanted that role. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right. What, what else you got? What other? I got, oh, when Paul Schrader was first writing the script, he believed that he was just writing about loneliness, but as the process went on, he realized he was writing about the pathological pathology of uh of loneliness his theory being that for some re- reason some young men uh subconscious subconsciously uh push others away to maintain their isolation even though the main source of their torment is th- this very isolation it's deep it's interesting yeah yeah and it wasn't just uh i i think he said something too about it's not just loneliness but self self-inflicted loneliness self-imposed yeah. self-imposed loneliness and and sort of the uh you know the traps and the tricks that our minds can play on us that you know um i think i, I said before like his own his own worst enemy we can we can create loneliness by the by our attitudes and yeah. by our by our actions and uh we can certainly we certainly did that yeah, I just uh, I just thought of the word I was looking for when we were talking about uh, the gun salesman yeah. and how he uh, I know this is off course a little bit, but I, I, he almost romanticizes uh, the gun sales. I guess it, it's very very um, exaggerated of that type of um, maybe say um, you know job work or that a person may do. And a person yeah. may find, and I think it's it's very very uh in- neat to watch. And it's like when a character is uh like in Goodfellas, he romanticizes uh the mafia and how it is in that. And so he, I felt he romanticized gun sa- uh gun sales, I guess. And Scorsese does that beautifully in a majority of his films. And that's something he just loves to do. And a lo- even The Departed, he romanticizes with the Boston police, I guess, in a way. And the, the and just <laughs> exaggerates their Boston accents almost and always like lots yeah. of, yeah. It, it, but I, that's what I love about Scorsese is he, he tends to do that a lot, a lot of his films and romanticize little things and little errors and um, 
the 20th century and the, in the, even the 19th century, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. There's the shot when, uh, uh, there's an overhead shot of the guns on the bed. Yes. And Scorsese talks about, about those kinds of shot, those overhead shots. There are several of them in the film. There's one at the beginning where, uh, Travis is, is applying for the job in the taxi stand and there's just a shot of the desk. And then there's a, another shot of Betsy's desk. And then there's a shot of the guns. There are probably other ones. And he, he's, he sort of, Scorsese sort of sees those sort of shots almost in a religious, like almost like a ritualistic, ah. religious, almost like you're seeing, um, seeing the uh the mass you know the the elements of the mass the ingredients yeah. of the mass and sort of uh draw special attention to it so that's another another kind of interesting thing about about those scenes yeah um, and, that sa- and that same kind of ritualistic i noticed i heard him talk about that but then i i noticed uh one another scene um when he's preparing to go and you know, uh, to the, to the rally in Columbus Circle to, yeah. for the assassination attempt. And he's just, he's, he's polishing his boots. He's putting on a white shirt. He's got the, he's got the different fires burning on the shoe polish. Yeah. Everything, everything. And he's, he's testing the gun, the, the gun with the rocker that goes up his sleeve. Yeah. You know, every, he's taping the knife to his boot. Everything. Yes. Is, this very sort of ritualistic qual aspect to it. Like he's, you know, he's, he's literally preparing for battle. Preparing I love those scenes. Yeah. I love war, that. Like, like a warrior. And, uh, and I noticed that when he actually does get in his cab and, and go to these places, um, there's this sort of the, the soundtrack changes. You s- hear this steady drum beat. And he has the mo. Now at this point, he's got the mohawk haircut. Yeah. And you just hear the steady drum beat, so it almost is like um, American Indian. And there's like a rattle that you hear sometimes. Yeah. Shaker that you would I would I associate with with uh, you know traditional Indian music, um, mm-hmm. American Indian music. So it's it's uh, it's very interesting. Yeah. I got uh, one more fact for you. Sure. And this is kind of this is broad. We can discuss this a little bit because it's something I noticed when I was watching the film too. But um, in Paul Schrader's original screenplay, the character of Sport, uh, and, uh, the hotel clerk, uh, and the hotel clerk were all black. So Martin Scorsese felt that combined with other events in the film, this would have stacked the deck too much towards racism and suggest that those characters be changed to white men and Schrader relented. And I noticed that too. I felt there's quite a few scenes where there's uh, African-American characters that were uh, at the, you know, that Travis Bickles kills in the one scene uh, when he's in the little um, drug mart or the the little bodega grocery store. Yeah. And then um, there's another scene where um, I'm trying to think. There's another scene near the beginning. Well, there's there's shots like uh, in the cafeteria where he's hanging out with the other cabbies, and there's just those 
shots of of the pimps sitting there. Um, yeah. And there's the the angry black man that at, at one point is walking down the sidewalk screaming that he's gonna he's gonna kill her. He's gonna kill her. You know, he's just this this guy is sort of in a walking by in a murderous rage. Yeah. So uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. They, want, <clears throat> they thought it would be too too one sided. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying they, to remember. Let's. <clears throat> there's a uh, a TV. Who let the dogs out? Maybe someone should let the dogs uh, out. Yeah, they should. I can hear a little uh, <laughs> grandpa coming up the stairs too. So yeah, <laughs> yelling at the dogs. <laughs> this kind of reminds me of. Uh, you know, the king of comedy. You're, now you're supposed to turn around and say, Mom! Yeah, I know. Keep it down! Keep it down, Ryan! Huh? Oh. <laughs> oh. You ready to discuss the king of comedy? Or you want to... Or you wanted to finish? Did you say something? Or you... Oh, I have one other fun yeah. fact. Fun oh, yeah, fact let's hear it. About, let's hear it. about yeah. Taxi Driver. Let's hear it. Uh, so there was there was a character in Taxi Driver who also appears in The King of Comedy, another actor. Do you recognize her um, actress? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, the girl at the the uh, at the concession stand at the porn theater, and then right. also the woman that he kind of has a love interest with, or is just. In the the King of Comedy, a little bit like they he likes her in the King of Comedy. It's his, and it's actually uh, you go ahead. You go. <laughs> no, well, you you know the answer. So that's yeah. uh, Diane Abbott. And he was, yes, he and Scorsese, he and uh, De Niro were married uh, uh, for twelve years, I think, from like nineteen seventy six. Right, I guess maybe they met uh, on on the set of Taxi Driver. Yeah, and they were married till nineteen eighty eight or something. So hmm. just a little little fun fact. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. And I also like the fact that when he's he's at the concession stand and he buys, you know, he's like, give me a tube tubes, give me a this, give me that. So he buys like five candy bars. That's another scene where there's like an overhead shot of what he purchased. Yeah. He, he buys an RC cola, he buys popcorn, and he buys like five candy bars. Total <laughs> total price, $1.85. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I bet you want to go back to 1976. And Oh yeah, able to pay it already five for all that stuff. That'd be awesome. I'd love yeah. to do that. It costs like, yeah, it costs like fifty dollars for like to get like a like a popcorn and a drink and a movie ticket. It's crazy. Exactly. Yeah. All right, ready for the King of Comedy? Sure. All right, so the King of Comedy, directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Paul D. Zimmerman. Uh, stars Robert De Niro, Jerry Lewis, and Sandra Bernard. Not too many uh, lead uh, actors or actresses in this film. It, it mainly focuses around uh, Robert De Niro's character and Jerry Lewis's character. Um, so Rupert Pumpkin, Pumpkin uh, is a passionate yet unsuccess unsuccessful comic who craves nothing more than to be in the spotlight and to achieve this. He stalks and kidnaps his idol to take spotlight for himself so yeah I, well i i i like that you sort of stumbled a little bit at his name because everybody in the film does the same thing nobody, i know yeah nobody could get it it's it's funny it's like i don't think 
anybody I, says his name correctly I, the, the first time. I was thinking that right as you, um, yeah, can, right as it happened. Can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's one of those, one of those names. Um, it is. Yeah. But yeah, great film, uh, black comedy. Oh, um, yeah. And, and, you know, interestingly, you know, a, a lot of, uh, you know, when you suggested talking about these two films together, I thought, okay. Um, but, you know, there really is a, a strong connection, uh, between them. You know, one yeah. is, one is obviously more darkly comedic, but, you know, in both cases, we're talking about troubled loners. And I think, um, you know, I think Rupert is, is pretty, dangerous in in his own in his own way um you know, nothing yeah. in, he doesn't end up killing anybody but um you know you never you, you can't can't really tell and, and there's a lot of uh anger and aggression i think in, in the character that comes out in interesting ways yeah but um uh, but also you know also uh very delusional um so I, I mentioned to you that I was talking to Jess, uh, who's yeah. a psychi psychiatrist, uh, about both the De Niro character and uh, the Sasha character played by Sandra Bernhardt. And, yeah. you know, I mean, they have uh, what she would call uh, grandiose type delusional disorder. Oh, and, uh, yeah, that's that's so I, I looked it up uh, right. and. Um, uh, this is I, I, a person with this type of delusional disorder has an overinflated sense of worth, power, knowledge, or identity. The person might believe he or she has a great talent or has made an important discovery. Well, I, I think that would certainly describe Rupert, um, you know, who just, he, he wants to forego any kind of, uh, usual steps of reaching the top. He just wants to jump right to the top because he believes, uh, you know, he has this talent and he's ready yeah. to, he's ready to deliver it to the world mm -hmm. and, uh, doesn't want to, doesn't want to start in the clubs, doesn't want to work his way up. He just wants to, yeah, he uh, wants it right away. And that's a good passion that people can have, you know, if you just at the same time, because it does take comedy is one of the hardest things to get into. It is. Soup. It is so hard. It is harder than acting. It is because you can you can act, but can you be funny too? That's like that's something that's maybe people are just naturally born with. It's hard to become funny. It's it's. I think it's an instinct that people are born with for the most part, and that's debatable. But it's it, but for a character like uh, Rupert to just want it right away, want to be at the very top is very very broad and that kind of shows how and, and and that kind of shows how he is very uh crazy and what you said he has the um i forget what what you said the the disorder the Delu delusional dark, disorder yeah grandiose type yeah. grandiose type yes exactly and yeah. um but yeah he's he's yeah <laughs> he so, is he's a hilarious uh, character though i i feel though uh, that we can discuss that in a bit though are are you advocating uh Rupert's um uh methods of getting to the top then? Is yes. That I, is that what I'm hearing? Uh, uh yeah, I, I think so. There there is a part part of that that is 
you know, uh, respect, like respectable, I think is other, not other than, than him like kidnapping this. <laughs> so you like the, you like his, his, uh, his, um, his drive, his ambition. Yes, exactly. His persistence. He's yes. very persistent. Yeah. Uh, you don't see that in a lot of people. No, he, he, you're, you're right. He has a lot of, he has a lot of drive. Um, but unfortunately he has this, uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe what, what did you think of his, uh, what did you think of his, his comedy bit when we finally get to hear it at the end? That was, because <laughs> throughout the entire film, I felt that, okay, well, if he's going to perform, it's not going to be, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. It's not going to be that or it's either gonna yeah it's either gonna be okay he's gonna get like a little laughs he might just embarrass himself and that's what I thought I I didn't think but in the end I loved it I, there was times when I was even laughing at it I thought it was I thought it was pretty funny I thought it was I thought it was good and I thought it was one of the best endings to a film I have seen in a while because it's happy but it's also it catches you off guard completely because it's not at all what I was expecting I. I expected him to kind of fail and he would not understand that he failed, but he felt that he was successful. But in reality, he's successful to everyone. Everyone sees him as this great guy, you know, and he has this great happy ending. He comes out, you know, with books and he's now he's, he's super famous, you know, he's got billboards with him and after he comes out of jail. But, but yeah, I, I want to know what your thoughts are on that. Um, well, I, I mean, I again, I've now I've seen the film four or five times, and so I wonder if my uh, I don't think I didn't think his bit was that funny, but maybe I thought it was funnier. Maybe that's because I've seen it five times now. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I thought it was funnier, but certainly it was a relief to hear the audience laughing. Um, mm -hmm. And and he didn't he didn't completely bomb. Mm -hmm. um, I could see how how some of it could be you know could be taken as funny and he didn't i don't think he embarrassed himself mm -hmm. um you know i don't think he's my favorite comic but uh, but, but <laughs> yeah. you're right he he didn't he didn't bomb he didn't embarrass himself he got i think what he uh was hoping for yeah um, he got the reaction he was hoping for and i was you know i was happy for him uh, uh you know that that was that was the outcome as as far as what happens after that um, you know, there's a lot of debate about, well, is Maybe, that, yeah. is that just, is, is that just part of the delusion say, yeah. that we, that we've, that we saw throughout the whole movie with him sitting in his basement, talking to Jerry and Liza Minnelli cutouts and yeah. is, is, you know, maybe that's a fantasy, the books and the TV show while he's sitting in his jail cell, maybe he's imagining what he thinks is going to happen when he gets out of jail. Who knows? And uh, Scorsese himself says, says um, you know, some people are, are certain it's delusion. Some people think think it actually happens. I like to think, I, I kind of like to think it actually happened. Yeah. But, but, so do I. Yeah. But Scorsese, yeah, it, it's. Um, but Scorsese, um, he 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 won't weigh in one way or the other. He likes that it's that it's. Uh, ambiguous and let he wants the audience to kind of make up their mind as yeah. to as to what happens to Rupert Rupert Pupkin. 
yeah. Or pumpkin. <laughs> I had a question for you. Sure. Um, so do you think, uh, Rupert Pumpkin's, uh, his motive is more, he looks at the idea of just being famous in a way. He wants, instead of being, uh, creating this comedy that makes people laugh, and that's what the majority of comedians want, is to, their whole, uh, purpose of doing comedy is to, they want to entertain people and they want to enter, uh, make people laugh and they want people to enjoy themselves. Whereas, do you think this is more for, and that's, that's the regular kind of motive, but do you think in this sense he instead wants just to be famous? He wants people to, uh, wants people to look up at, to him as a star and, and this icon and, uh, instead of actually creating content and comedy that people will enjoy and just where and yeah he just wants the fame thing um i think he wants um that's a good question i I think he wants um well this the scene i think that to me explains a lot about his character and about the his motives is the fantasy sequence where he's marrying his you know his high school sweetheart and he's uh on on stage on Jerry Langford's show yeah and he's being married by his high school principal who delivers that whole speech about you know we all thought you weren't going to amount to a hill of beans but here you we were all wrong and you were right and so i i think a lot of it is just um you know he wants to kind of prove everybody that um you know that that might have bullied him and he wants to prove them all wrong and he yeah. wants that he wants them all to eat crow and and in that way kind of um you know uh he, he wants to yeah i'm not sure it's it's just a pure instinct to to make people laugh as much mm. as as much as it is sort of a way to redeem his entire life of, of having been bullied and um yeah. and who knows whatever else happened to him but i i think it's uh you know he he was a person who uh was was probably you know beat down a lot as a kid and 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 that's kind of the subject of his um his routine when he when he finally delivers it you know yeah. al- alcoholic father um mother passed away when he was young you know lots of bullying you know things like that so um you know i think a lot of it is just maybe a a survival instinct maybe the way he survived his childhood was to go into these sort of delusions and have this sort of fantasy life which is which is i think very common yeah people 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 do a lot of things uh and, and abuse people do a lot of things um to survive you know mm-hmm. and part and part of them is is kind of li- living this sort of double life or this sort of fantasy life where they're the hero instead of the victim and i really think he sees himself that way he sees himself as as sort of the hero who's going to you know, kind of vanquishes his foes, and he's mm-hmm. going sh- to show the world that you know he has value. Um, I think, you know, my my feeling is that's really more his motivation. But he he also certainly respects the, the comedy 
genre and um, you know those those who do it and wants to be a part of that too. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I another character that's uh in this film that I I really enjoyed is Jerry Lewis. Uh, oh man, he was so <laughs> he was so good because he's so opposite of what people see him as in comedy. You know, he's the kooky uh you know nutty professor and just a lot i know my dad hates him you know he hates his comedy thinks it's so stupid mm-hmm. and same with uh grandpa bob you know him yeah and obviously you know and uh but yeah uh it's it's he said that he was just playing himself basically it was that easy because he was just playing his self and uh <laughs> in walking down the streets and it, it's very very easy for any i think it, this character just felt very easy for him to to portray i uh, absolutely um you know talk 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 about typecasting right? yeah like he was just uh he he lived the part yeah um and some of the scenes one of my favorite scenes with him is <laughs> uh when he's walking down the street Yes, and I know you're gonna say yeah. The, the woman on the phone, yeah. Right? And he and he he shared that anecdote with um, Scorsese, and Scorsese said, "Let's let's do it. Let's put it in." In fact, he Scorsese asked uh, Jerry Lewis to direct that scene, you know, to work with the woman to get the timing down and everything. So he, you know, Scorsese handed over the reins and said to Jerry, "You know, you you direct this and and." Um, the the line is, of course, uh, this woman interrupts her phone call uh, because she sees Jerry Langford, Jerry Lewis, walking down the street and and starts, you know, praising him and you're you're my son's favorite and I watch you every night and would you just say hi to my my nephew? He's in the hospital, he's sick and and Jerry says, you know, I, I I'm sorry, I'm running late, and she says, uh, you should only get cancer. <laughs> I hope you get cancer. <laughs> And it's uh, it's such a beautiful line. It's so funny. It yeah, I know. It, it it's, it's hilarious. It's so funny with him. Uh, that scene. I thought she, that goes, was... she goes from like being a mega fan to wishing death on him. <laughs> and, <laughs> like like less than a second. It's like your entire <laughs> like perception of him is just completely changed. Just hates him absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I. So he, his, his character, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Well, it's it's just the uh, you know uh, going back to the, the casting of Jerry Lewis. I mean, and this whole idea of like, um, you know, who who better to play that that part or act in that role than someone who's who's you know probably been hounded and, and chased and yeah. had the, had things like that happen to him. Like he. He he didn't have to go and do any research, um, you know, for the role. He he understood it perfectly immediately, and I think his his performance is fantastic. It's very, it's very understated, you know, uh, compared as you said to his earlier films, which are full of like these pratfalls and and goofy faces and crossed eyes and all the all the, you know, the sort of the silly Jerry Lewis stuff um, that he did when he was playing opposite Dean Martin, who was the yeah. straight man. Um, you know, all that goofball stuff is, is gone. And he's just, he's just a celebrity walking down the street or in a mm-hmm. talk show. And I love watching his, 
his expressions or his lack of expressions in, in these scenes. Um, like, uh, yeah, just what, even when he's like taped up, I know uh, after, after the kidnapping and, and Sandra Bernhardt is, is the Masha character is just doing all this wild stuff. And he's just, you know, not that he can move because he's taped to a chair, but he's just staring at her. So deadpan or, uh, or when, uh, uh, Rupert and, um, his girl go out to the Jerry's country house and Rupert is sort of talking and moving around the, the foyer and Jerry Lewis is just staring at him with his arms crossed expressionless. I mean, um, you know, I just thought he played it, played it perfectly, you know, the sort of <laughs> seething anger and, and, um, disbelief, but he, he, he just played it very understated, which uh, I thought was great. Even when he's yeah, when he's taped up completely, and Rupert's uh, telling him to, he gives him the signs or the the cue cards that he has to say. To the oh my god! The phone and they're all upside down and backwards, and it's just that's that's, that's the perfect that, that, example. That, that just signs, yeah, that signs upside down, it's upside down, <laughs> just rolling his eyes. Yeah, like these <laughs> idiots. I know. Oh man, yeah, it, and that's what makes it that's so comedic about it too it's like it's just it, it kind of comes out of nowhere it's like uh it, it's just kind of drizzled onto you the the comedy uh aspect of the of it it's little things like that that just like take you out of nowhere and you're just like oh that's hilarious that's so funny it's it's genius almost and that's when i think yeah. about it yeah uh yeah scorsese called it a a comedy of manners and excruciate excruciatingly embarrassing situations each scene had to have a humor to it even though dealing with ugly unpleasant overtones and i yeah. i read that afterwards but you know there were some scenes in it which were almost like a screwball comedy where you know like when the security guards are chasing him chasing rupert through the offices of you know jerry langford's offices and you see him run past the door and, the ch and then a couple of seconds later, you see the, the security guards run past and then the camera doesn't move. And then you see Rupert running the other way and he's being chased. So it had these sort of screwball elements to it yeah. um, that I think were kind of like maybe paying homage to those, those kinds of things and other kinds of movies or maybe even Jerry Lewis movies themselves. Those but, slapstick, like quirky yeah, comedies. Yeah. Yeah. Total slapstick. Um but uh yeah i know yeah i notice when comparing the two films taxi driver and um and the king of comedy i noticed obviously i, I would assume that uh i'm not sure if king of comedy is set in new york city is it yes yes okay yeah, yeah. but they are totally different aesthetic uh when you look at new york city and taxi driver and you look at new york city and uh the king of comedy obviously um time is different the uh, yeah, taxi like driver is five, uh, five years later six yeah years so later. it's a little bit but not too much obviously you can't change that much but um well but still yeah it's yeah well yeah and that that goes back to what we were saying before about uh travis putting himself in situations you know i mean taxi driver was very much shot in Times Square, you know, you know, he he chose to be in these places, surrounded by all this stuff. But if you go like a few blocks to the east, 
you know, towards Rockefeller Center, uh, you know, then maybe you're more like in, in Jerry Langford country. Yeah. You know, um, where it's, uh, the, the, the cities do look, they're shot very differently. Um, and, uh, you get a, a real sense of the personality of the city in both movies, but they, they look completely different just shooting a few blocks away. Yeah. Um, I noticed in the credits, interestingly, uh, there were three, three members. I'm not sure if it was in the credits or if I read it somewhere else, but there were three members of the band, The Clash. Yeah. Who were, who were just like on the street. Yeah. You know, they just, kind of mock Sasha. In a way. Oh, oh, is that right? I gotta go back yeah. and, and look at that. Uh, um, yeah, I thought I thought also the scenes in the office were just super uncomfortable. And oh yeah, where he's just gonna oh oh, oh I'll wait. You know, uh, well he might it might not be it's it's Friday or it's Thursday, and she's saying it might not be till Monday, and he's like I'll still wait. It's oh okay. my god, yeah. It's this very thinly veiled aggression that he has towards um, that person who's being super nice to him. Um, the, uh, Sorry Jerry, about that. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Uh, Jerry Langford's personal assistant is just being really nice and, and trying to be helpful and courteous and professional. And, and he's, uh, you know, he's just uh, <laughs> so, so persistent. And um, he's not going to take take no for an answer. And yeah. He's, al he's also questioning, you know, her her asking her like, "Are are you speaking for Jerry?" Um, you know, doesn't just kind of not respecting her her and her position and her oh, professionalness. Yeah. And that's you know that's another I think that's another kind of parallel between the two characters is that they just they they don't they don't pick up on on normal like social cues and mm -hmm. social social interactions yeah um you know and he he just you know the normal thing would be to send in the tape well he brings it there in person then the next normal thing to do would be to you know thank you thank her very much and and come back when it's convenient for them but he puts himself you know above all of them he just wants to march right in and and talk to Jerry personally because he believes he has this personal connection. Um, and, yeah. And he, and he says so much to, to Masha in an earlier scene. He says, you know, what I, what I have with Jerry is, is real. It's not fantasy like what you have. Of yeah. Course, of course it, it totally is. Um, I, I and think, the, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I think he gets that touch of confidence when he's, he's first in the car at the beginning, at the beginning of the film with uh, Jerry Langford and he, and he believes that's like his big break in a way. That's almost, that's the beginning of like, that's like, yeah, he's it, in. Yeah. He's in. That's what he's, he feels literally and metaphorically, you know, he's in the, <laughs> he's in the taxi cab or he's in the, he's in the limo. Now he's, yeah. Yeah. I like, I like when he says, uh, he, he, he won't leave Jerry alone. Jerry gets out of the car. He's going up the stairs. He's like, Hey, I, I'm a little short on money, but you know, I could take, <laughs> Take you out for some appetizers or something, you know, anytime, anytime. Yeah. And, uh, oh man. Yeah. It's, it's good. It's a good one. It's, it's, uh, it's I think it's, it's one of Scorsese's best, I, I could say. Yeah. It, it, uh, it didn't, it was 
did well with the critics. It didn't do very well with the box office. I think yeah. I think now it has a a, a loyal following and is, is ranks up there with with uh, you know one of his best. Yeah. Um, you know, very different from you know uh, the films that he had made previously. It was a real a real departure. Um, yeah. But I you know and I think that might have been De Niro. Uh, De Niro's influence as well. Um, oh, that that's yeah. I, I read that. I think uh, Scorsese wanted to jump into the Last Temptation of Christ and wanted De Niro to play uh, Jesus, and De Niro was like, "No, let's." He wanted to do a comedy. I think yeah. <laughs> after you know after Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Raging yeah. Raging Bull. Um, oh yeah, totally. You know and. Uh, uh, I, I did hear, yeah. Uh, ironically enough, I did hear this is like one of the worst uh, films that they uh, made to get, or like it was like just terrible on set. Like it was, it was. Oh uh, really? Yeah, it was like Martin Scorsese said later that making this film was an un- unsettling experience, in part because of the embarrassing, bitter material of the script. Scorsese said that he and Robert De Niro may have not worked together. Uh, again, for even seven years because of the making of uh, King and Comedy, it was so emotionally uh, grueling. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can, <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, and I think a lot of it was improvised too. There was a lot of I, I heard that a lot of scenes like with uh, Masha and uh, Rupert on the streets were all improvised and uh, done themselves. And so I think the script didn't give them too much uh, and too good quality of uh writing for them well she yeah she was hired uh she in particular was hired for her um you know she she was not a trained actor um mm-hmm. uh but she could improvise and i guess yeah. she sh- i guess she proved that to him during uh auditions yeah. and so um you know it's, it's hard uh, I've seen her perform. I saw her maybe in the last ten years, uh, you know, do her her comedy on stage, and she's she's captivating and she's really funny. I think, and I think it's hard it's hard to imagine anybody else uh, in that in that role. I think she's just perfect for it. So again, another piece of uh, brilliant like casting. Mm. Oh, she was like one of my least favorite characters in that movie, though. I I could not stand her whenever she's on. Uh-huh. it was I, I think but it's on purpose like she's like meant to be not an unlikable character obviously uh hilarious at times and always yelling at rupert and yeah well yeah. they had this weird relationship yeah almost like brother and sister that's exactly you know, what I thought, sort yeah. of familial kind of uh relationship where they're just always kind of bickering mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, I thought she was. I thought she was great, but yes, yeah, she's she's annoying. Yeah, she is. <laughs> she's, and, compl- she's completely annoying. She's also, you know, she's also got her her particular uh, delusion. Yeah. Uh, what Jess called an erotomanic delusion. So she's where she worships Jerry Langford. Uh, what does it say here? Erotomania is a form of delusional disorder in which an individual believes that another person, usually of higher status, is in love with him. Yeah. So she's she's got all these, you know, she's talking, she's she's taking a bath, and she's wondering if he's taking a bath, and she's you know she's believes she's having a romantic dinner with this this person, yeah. and is about to kiss him, 
And when he when he says, you know, Masha, take off the tape, it's you know, he thinks they're gonna make love there on the table, but that's not what happens. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, oh, and I like the I like their line where she I just like the shot where he's there in the house and Rupert's got the gun on him, but she's she's knitted him a sweater. And he's he's standing there in the knit sweater, but without the sleeves yet, because she wants to get the length right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, that was pretty funny. It is funny. Yeah. Um, I had a question for you though. Sure. About, there was one character in the film that I didn't understand. It was in when um, uh, Rita and Rupert are in the restaurant, and then there's a man in the background, uh, yeah. imitating Rupert's hand gestures and and kind of. Just like staring at them and smiling, and it was yeah. the guy. He's in Goodfellas. He's a yeah, uh, Maury uh, Maury Kessler, the, right? Yeah, and but he, I, I think he's the wig salesman, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I have no, uh, I have no idea why I he think. was why he was doing that. Whether they noticed him doing that and just were going to go back and reshoot the scene. What it did it have some kind of symbolic? What Meaning? I yeah. What do you think? I don't know. I thought that maybe that was because he's imitating him in a way. And what I thought was maybe it was Rita was actually having a conversation with him and Rupert's in his delusion, pretending that he was him, and oh. that it was, and that's him actually having. Uh, I don't know. That's that's what I thought. That that was one of the because uh, yeah, it's well, I, I thought it had some sort of meaning, but who knows? Yeah. That's better than my answer, which is I have no idea. <laughs> um, just, just kind of bizarre. And yeah, uh, it, it that was uh, I wasn't aware of it during while, while I watched the film. I was aware of another character being back there, but it, um, like you, I, I, well, I, I, I read something about about the fact that that was happening, and and it makes no sense to me. Yeah, I have no idea. I want to know very badly. I gotta, yeah, I gotta find a, because it's it's annoying me right at at this moment because I just have no idea what it could be. It's just it's hard. Sometimes yeah, you, can, you uh, can interpret it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, I don't know if that guy was acting in other movies, um, had acted in other movies, or if that was Scorsese's first experience working with him. Yeah. Um, and you know sometimes extras will will try and do something in a movie to try and stand out to kind mm-hmm. of have their own little minute of fame and maybe he was maybe he was doing that maybe he was just making himself um you know instead of just sort of being quietly in the background maybe he was trying to kind of insert himself Mm-hmm. Into into the picture in a in a bigger way than he was he was <laughs> he was uh, cast for yeah but, but who who knows I mean I, but here we here we are talking about it right so exactly so um, I you know I, I can't I can't believe that he would have been directed to do that but again it I, could I mean, just be it could just be to throw off the audience like it could just be to throw off like it's throwing us off right now so he could just that's yeah. all but that's what film is sometimes. It's just like it, it takes you by surprise and it makes you discuss and think. And yeah. that's what's that's what something I Scorsese's he's a smart guy, so it could definitely be something uh intellectual and just try and mess with the audience. 
Yeah. I, I could totally see him doing that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I did love that character in, uh, he's a great actor. I loved him in Goodfellas. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he casts very well as Chris says it. He does, he does a good job. Like oh, most, yeah. good, most good directors do that. They, they tend to, it's, they cast well in their films, except for Cameron Diaz in Gangs of New York. Not the. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. That's, that's, yeah. Discuss maybe that another time soon. But, um, I wanted to touch on, uh, I mentioned to you this before of how the comparison between, uh, uh, King of Comedy Taxi Driver and the film, uh, Joker that came out recently. Yes. And I, uh, after I watched Joker before I watched Taxi Driver or, um, The King of Comedy, uh, and when I watched Taxi Driver, I noticed, yeah, it, it's pretty similar. Like the style, um, is very, very similar. Um, both scenes end out with kind of a, a big shootout that, uh, changes each person's character and, uh, but I watched the King of Comedy, and it is a complete ripoff of, uh, or uh, the Joker is a complete ripoff of the King of Comedy. It is ridiculous how similar they are, and how like much there is. There's a difference between uh, uh, inspiration mm-hmm. and and just flat out stealing, uh, you know, a plot from a film. And I think there it's it's crazy because in both films he has character has delusion. It's set around this person who wants to be a comedian and isn't that funny necessarily. Uh, he's inspired by this talk show host. He looks up at this person and he ends up having delusions about meeting him and being with him. And in the end, he ends up finally meeting him. Whereas in this part, he kidnaps him. Uh, for the King of Comedy, and in Joker, he ends up just killing. Him. So, yeah. it's and both characters are both, you know, weird kind of losers in society and loners that nobody really cares about. And uh, it's ridiculous how somewhere there, and even Robert De Niro's in it. It's 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 crazy. <laughs> this, yeah, um, I. I have to, you know, you're absolutely right. There's there's so many. Uh, similarities and um i haven't read enough of uh from the director to to know i mean there's there's inspiration there's ripping off and there's also uh, homage so you know some of it could just be you know paying paying respects to scorsese by by sort of mirroring him um in a certain way or Mm -hmm. you know like uh, gus van sant's remake shot for shot remake of of psycho um yeah i i you know but i don't i don't know that that was uh todd's uh intentions i i do know that they you know there was so many comparisons to um obviously it was a huge inspiration and and influence on him um you know sort of recreating that very gritty dingy uh new york of of uh taxi driver yeah um and you know interesting not you know not unintentional obviously that he cast de niro in the role of 
the talk show host in the Jerry Langford role. And yeah, I mean, I don't know what to make of, of all of the, uh, I mean, it's so blatant mm -hmm. that, you know, I can only personally, I can only kind of see it as, as homage and, and I, and in, in the case of homage, I, I sort of feel like, well, what's the point if you're just going to do something that's so similar, mm -hmm. um, and not kind of expand on it or add to it, then what's the point? You know, you're, 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 who, you know, who would ever think of remaking Taxi Driver, you know, or, or the King of Comedy for that matter. They're kind of these perfect films, uh, in their own right. Yeah, they I don't, left yeah, alone too. yeah. That's, 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 a, that's what I mean. I mean, I don't, um, I I have to say I enjoyed watching the Joker. I enjoyed Joaquin's performance, but it didn't. It I don't. It didn't stick with me the way these other films. Exactly. Stick with me, yeah. Right. I don't yeah. need to go. I don't think of it as a cla instant classic. I don't need to go back and watch it again. I, you know, I it was a great performance, but I, I don't think it it added to um you know to the conversation of. Mm. Um, you know, just, I, I don't, it's maybe too, uh, it's maybe unfair to say that I don't think it really added to the conversation of like the history of filmmaking because I, yeah. again, I, again, I don't really know the director's, uh, intentions and I've only seen the film once, but, um, yeah, all I can say is it, it didn't, it didn't really stick with me. Yeah. Uh, beyond beyond watching it, it was it was like escapist to watch it, and then I didn't really think about it very much after that. But I I did you know I did love Joaquin's performance in it. Yeah. Um, but he's but, a great actor. He's yeah. 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 Totally. Um, but I I could you know I could certainly see uh people um you know diving into all these questions about the casting of De Niro and all, and all the parallels. But, hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, anything else to add? Um, hmm. There was something else. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, it was, um, yeah, I just wanted to mention the uh, editing of Taxi Driver. This is just another fun fact okay, for, yeah. for for maybe you in particular. Let's hear it. But the uh, the editor was not uh, Scorsese's regular go-to Thelma uh. Schoonmacher, although I believe she's. I think I believe she's. She did do a little bit on the film, but was uncredited. But she was. Uh, if I remember correctly, she was not part of the uh, the union, the, the correct union that she needed to be in, so she was not able to work on that film yeah. um, and be credited for it, although I think she did a little on it. But the editing is credited to three people, Marsha Lucas, uh, Tom Rolfe, and uh, Melvin Shapiro. And I looked up their, um, their IMDb's, and man, what a... Uh, what a hit list of amazing movies those 
you know, so to have those three editors working on one of your uh, early films, it's it's kind of no surprise. As much of a master as film is, uh, yeah, you know, uh, he did okay with these with these three. So uh, Tom Rolfe uh, went on to edit, or maybe he had previously edited uh, French Connection, Black Sunday. He uh, then did New York, New York, Heaven's Gate, War Games, The Right Stuff. Oh yeah, uh, Melvin Shapiro. Uh, he's probably best known for uh, Willy Wonka, the original, um, with uh, Gene Wilder. But the supervising editor was Marsha Lucas, who does that last name sound familiar? Marsha Lucas, yeah, George Lucas. Yeah, George Lucas's wife. Oh. She edit. She was the the supervising editor. She did Alice doesn't live here anymore. New York, New York, American Graffiti. But you'll be interested to know she also edited the Star Wars trilogy. Hmm. So I, I didn't know that. I'm surprised it, I didn't know that. It's so funny. she's the she's the supervising editor on Taxi Driver hmm. and Star Wars is the same editor, which I thought was interesting. That is interesting. Huh. Yeah. Neat. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, in one of uh, in one of the commentaries, looking at the poster on the wall behind you, in one of the commentaries, the other poster, um, he talks about uh, Travis almost like a Batman, yeah, like, like a vigilante kind of character. And he starts to, you know, he kind of asks the question, "Well, is is Batman also, you know, a delusional uh, person? Uh, a little bit." Well, there's there's debates that Batman's like, I I think of uh, Travis as almost an antihero. There's debates that even Batman's an antihero in a way because he, he does yeah. gruesome things and horrible things, but for the better good of people. And, you know, and and it's debatable whether they is it worth it to do those. Is it worth it to do, to get those things done and and have maybe say other people happy, but at what cost it might be. And yeah, totally. Uh, and the only other thing I would say is um, that I would just mention the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan by John Hinckley Jr., uh. which he did to kind of impress Jodie Foster. And he was another kind of a, like a real life character who um, was sort of fixated on. Jodie Foster in this movie and then carried out an assassin assassination attempt and, yeah. and it was um you know it Scorsese you know thought at the time that he might quit filmmaking because because of that or because um you know his he was worried maybe that his film had had inspired you know an actual real life <laughs> murder and and that was some of the criticism about Joker as well, that this might inspire copycats. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the King of Comedy as well. People, in, in some respects, he thought this, the Rupert Puffin character might be even more dangerous than Travis Bickle might ins inspire other people to do, to kidnap, you know, yeah. To kidnap celebrities and things like that. So, and anyway. Know, yeah. And I know when, uh, De Niro won his Oscar for Raging Bull. Yeah, he uh, they delayed it, or um, they delayed. Let me check. Oh yeah, so um, 
at the at the attempt of the assassination the assassination caused the 53rd academy award ceremonies to be postponed for one day until tuesday march uh, 31st, 1981, went to Nero, won the Best Actor Oscar for Raging Bull. Oh, and they, wow. they did that, they delayed it just one day because of, uh, because of that, I think. And just because De Niro was associated with those, those two films and with mainly Taxi Driver, obviously. And, um, yeah, just interesting. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, ready for top three things? Oh, man. I thought we were done. What? 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 Top three? What? Oh, top, top three Scorsese films. Oh boy, <laughs> it won't take too long. Um, hmm. gosh. Well, Raging Bull. Yeah. Taxi Driver. Good fellas. Nice. It's a good list. <laughs> One of your mind? I think you know. Yeah. I was. I was thinking. I mean, King of Comedies. It's got to be four. Yeah, but, but uh, I I I couldn't I I w- I couldn't eliminate any of those other three, and I think there's enough humor yeah. in in the other three mixed in in weird ways, dark humor that yeah. uh, you know that's okay. Yeah, not have King of Comedy up there, but yeah, I think those those three Goodfellas, uh, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver. All right. Uh, not uh, in that order. Yeah. Okay. All right. I see. I, probably, I put my probably yeah. Raging Bull, Taxi Number Driver, one. Yeah, Goodfellas. Yeah. You know those films are they're just they're an experience to watch, and I, yeah. I and every time I've watched them, it's it's like even the other night. I mean, I it's probably the fifth time I've seen Taxi Driver. I wanted to make sure, like, I wasn't you know the. the the setting was right. I was comfortable. The sound was right. Mm, like, because yes. you just wanna, as uh, it's just an immersive experience. And, totally. And there, and there's just uh, you know, you just want to sit there and, and not have anything interfere with the the artistry. And it is yeah. just artistry from beginning to end. And I think all th- three of those films uh, say the same thing. Totally. Yeah. Ready for mine? Yeah. All right, so number three, got Goodfellas. Okay. Number two, The King of Comedy. Number okay. one, The Departed. Oh yes. Yes. Okay. The Departed's like probably my. It could be one of my favorite films of all time, and it may be just partially. Casting is insane in that film. You know, Mark Wahlberg, Jack Nicholson, uh, Leo, Matt Damon, uh, Martin Sheen, uh, Alec Baldwin. Vera Farmiga, it, it's crazy. You know? Great, it, great cast. It is, sure. it is totally, and it's just, it's people. I've, I've been criticized because uh, I call it like it's just a fun film to watch, and because even though it's like super violent, violent and ridiculously, yeah, violent and, uh, it, but I just I think it, it's it's a lot of fun to watch. It's a it's a good movie. It's you know, I it's def- definitely yeah, it's definitely great. A great watch. Yeah. Now, are he, you? Oh, go yeah. ahead. Go. No, no, go ahead. No, no. Are you? Uh, now I know you. You want to visit Boston. Are you fixated on Boston because of this movie, or are you fixated on this movie because of your fixation on Boston? Uh, 
I don't mean it's, you're, I don't mean you're it's, fixated it's, on this movie. You just love this movie, but um, it's a little bit of both, honestly, because I've always been a fan of Boston. I've always been a fan of the Red Sox, and uh, so. But then I think watching The Departed extended that. It it, it okay. made it uh yeah inflated that feeling yeah added to it yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, when it, when are you gonna come down so we can go to Boston? Very soon, obviously. Is is yeah. I would love to. Uh, yeah. I wonder I mean, if there. I wonder if they. Uh, someone gives uh, departed tours. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, maybe I'll talk to my friend uh, Mark Wahlberg and see if I can <laughs> arrange that. He's a good friend of mine. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm having him over for appetizers later. Oh, nice. I yeah. can't afford lunch right now. Money's a little tight. But uh, I'm have him over uh, for appetizers. Uh, funny. It's a good one. All right. I think that closes it up for uh, today's episode. Thanks, so. All right. Hey, All it's right. Been a pleasure, Ryan. Thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure for me too. It's been a lot of fun. Aside from all the noise surrounding us, it's crazy. The people working on the house and the dogs barking and grandpa's yelling yeah it's a, it a good time real life over there it's it is life. it is yeah um yeah but um all right uh thank you guys so much for listening uh you can check uh the podcast out on uh, uh youtube spotify apple Podcasts, amazon music and google Podcasts, and i'm on instagram tiktok at the same name there will be movie re- movie reviews you can email me at therewillbemoviereviews.com for, um, for details on upcoming em- episodes and for uh, suggestions of episodes you'd like to be have done. But, uh, yeah, thank you so much, Brad. It's a lot of fun. Hey, thanks Great a lot, time. Man. I have to All have right. you on again. That's, All right. That's for Hope sure. So. All right.